Can you please give a warm welcome to Mark McGee? Thank you. Thank you, Dave. I don't know if you caught that, but you missed the mark last fall. That was good. I like that. Dad jokes. Dad joke fans out here? Anybody? I got a dad joke button for Christmas, and any dads that would like access to something like that, uh, you can see me later. My son gave it to me. It's awesome. So, All right. <clears throat> Humor is not my day job, by the way, as much as I like it to. Well, welcome. Uh, I'm so glad to be here. I'm, I'm blessed to be a part of the uh, ministry here this morning. Um, like Dave said, we've been involved in uh, rural bush ministry at uh, Peninsula Bible Camp for 18 years. Um, this is a picture of my family. My wife, Andrea, and I have been married for uh, a long time. Uh, don't ask her. Right? Don't tell her that I forgot exactly how many years that is now. 94. Somebody do the math for me quick. 26 years? 27. It's 27 years, I think, this year. Yikes. I'm getting old. I'm actually now the senior guy on staff, which seems really odd to me. Um, I came uh, as a young guy uh, doing follow-up and outreach ministry to uh, the villages, and it's just been a blessing to see God continue to grow Tenelian Bible Camp into what it is today. We have four children. Uh, my oldest is Anthony. He's uh, just graduated from college. My second son, Trevor, is getting married this summer. I'm excited about that. My daughter, Katie, has graduated from high school, and my son, Eric, is 12. And... Um, they have all grown up in rural Alaska uh, at TBC for the most part, and I'm so thankful for the experiences they have had uh, at Christian camping. Uh, I, I forgot to ask the first service, but how many of you have been involved in Christian camping somewhere in the state or even out of state? A lot of you? Awesome. I'm a camp guy. I, I, I was, God made me into a camp guy, and, and that's, I just love Bible camp. Um, my wife and I met at a Bible camp. My parents were in Bible camp ministry um, be, uh, before they were in, uh, as a pastor later on. And I just, I love what camp provides for churches as a tool to be used for the proclamation of the gospel in a place where you can ask the big questions in life, like I said in the video. Um, you go to the next staff. Well, our family has grown. We have a massive staff now. At least I think it's big. Um, we started with just a couple people years ago uh, on full-time staff, and now we've grown as the Tenelian Leadership Center has grown, added staff to help us do ministry well. Um, there's something to be said about having enough people to do the work of the ministry, and it's been a real blessing as we've grown. This is a picture of our staff retreat last fall as we're, we're learning to work together for God's glory. Bring on that next picture, please. Port Allsworth. Some of you, I realize, may not even know where Port Allsworth is. Um, how many of you before today did not know where Port Allsworth was? You can be honest. Thank you. I'm so glad I get to tell you about it. It's, we're just across the inlet. Uh, it's only about an hour flight in a, in a small airplane to get there. It's the only way you can get there is by aircraft. Although, somebody did ask me that earlier, and you could, if you wanted to, uh, drive up to Wasilla, uh, hike across the tundra through Lake Clark Pass, uh, get in a pack raft and paddle out there, and that has been done. Um, and I can kind of put you in touch with the right people if you are that adventurous. If you're not, airplanes are really the more practical means of getting there. And uh, we'd love to have you come visit us. In fact, uh, if you're interested in helping, volunteering, serving at camp, I'd love to talk to you later. We use a lot of volunteers every year. Uh, like Dave said, COVID has impacted our lives. I don't need to tell you more about that. Uh, we like Port Allsworth. We're 
like COVID doesn't exist for the most part. In fact, last time when I was on the Kenai Peninsula back in October, you gave me COVID, just so you know. I'm not sure where I got it from, but it was from here. And I brought it back to my uh, wife. Well, we actually were together, but my son Eric got it. But we were okay, and we, we survived it okay. And I know it's a serious disease. Uh, in fact, I have a missionary acquaintance that's in real serious condition today because of it. So I don't want to make light of that. But it has made a big impact. And we were wondering last summer, how do we even do camp? How do we run camp and, and provide the ministry that God's called us to do? And one of the ways that uh, God provided for us was to actually take camp to one of our villages, uh, the village of Sleep Mute. And so we were able to pack up our planes and head up to Sleep Mute. It's about an hour flight from us north on the Kuskokwim River. And we did day camp there. And it was a phenomenal time to be there and minister to the young children and to the families and the teens and um, be able to tell the stories of God's love and grace. And um, we were welcomed into the village and we had a wonderful time. And it really gives us some more vision for what could camp be with the right people in place and enough help. Could we do camp in Port Oldsworth and do camps in remote places too? Some of our hope and vision for the future. We can go to the next one. Why do we do ministry? Why do we do Bible camp? Why, why does a follower of Christ want to do anything? And this morning I'd like to talk a little bit about what God's heart might look like and what I believe the Bible reveals it to be. I've been kind of on this kick for a while as uh, I get asked regularly, why, why do you do what you do? And what, what is ministry all about? So as we dig into God's word this morning, we're going to take a big 10,000 foot overview of the heart of God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity I have this morning to share your word. I pray as we uh, look into uh, several places where we learn about you, that you would uh, form us into the uh, people that would follow your heart, that would love well, that would recognize our own failings that have been covered by your grace through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the heart of God, it's a big subject. And we could spend uh, a month of Sundays, as the saying goes, studying and, and understanding what it is. We're going to look at four aspects of, I think, uh, what we can read and what we can glean out of God's Word this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to just start with a prayer of Paul in the book of Philippians, chapter 1. Philippians, chapter 1, is one of Paul's many prayers that he writes, and it expresses his desire, what he is praying for the people in Philippi, and I, re, I would say even looking forward to us today, what really matters? Let's read in Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. He says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In this short little prayer, we can see a, a, some clues into maybe what not only is Paul's heart for people, but what God's heart is. That one, our love may abound more and more, and that we would have knowledge and discernment. Discernment's a really uh, important characteristic of love that we would be able to discern that we may be able to approve what's excellent and be pure and blameless and filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through christ to the glory and praise of god 
Paul wanted us to know what really mattered. And by knowing and understanding that we would be, bring glory to God through the Spirit's power. And I, I believe the summation of that would be that we would be a people after God's own heart. When I think about heart, the, the idea of character comes to mind. And, and character, I think, can be described as, as adjectives that would describe kind of who I am, um, that uh, kind, uh, that I'm honest, faithful, good, um, uh, maybe forgetful, uh, if you ask my, my kids recently, um, are characteristics about me. Uh, when we think about God's character, what do you think about? What are the things that come to your mind after, uh, as you think about who God is? Shout it out. Loving, faithful, passionate, compassionate, and, and passionate. <laughs> yes. Omnipotent. I missed one over here. Happy? Yeah. Just. Patient. I love it. You guys are more active than the earlier crew. Maybe it's because you got coffee and you know. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, all oh, awesome characteristics of who God is. And as I think about it, I think, well, those are really good descriptors, but how do I know what his heart is? What is heart? Um, if any of you are sports fans or if you played sports, my coaches were like, you got to play with all your heart. And I, I would say that heart can, is kind of like a summation of all those characteristics and how they play out in life. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's the way it makes sense to me. And I think about God's characteristics and what does God want? What is, how do we understand? How does his heart beat? Um, as I've been considering the driving motivation for ministry, it has to do with God's character being lived out, his heart, as I would describe it. Uh, you may be familiar with the statement that he's a man after God's own heart. Who, who was that said about in the Bible? David, good. You've looked at the Bible, I love that. David is described as a man after God's own heart. And sometimes you can scratch your head because when you read David's story, he's not a super nice guy at times, right? He's a murderer, he's a thief, he's an adulterer. But yeah, he's a man after God's own heart. And when you compare his life to the previous king, Saul, we start to see some characteristics. And one is that there's a, a repentance and a recognition of when he uh, was wrong, when he committed sin. I personally want to be a man uh, described after God's own heart. Okay, I'll be honest, I just messed up my iPad, so bear with me a second. <laughs> this is one thing about technology, Andrew, that I'm still, I'm still working on. All right. I just got to find my place again, sorry. If I want this to be true of me, if I want to be a man after God's own heart, I really need to understand what it is. If I want to be a man that truly loves my wife, Andrea, well, I need to understand who she is. She's had a birthday recently, and I don't know, guys, if you're like this, but I'm like, what am I going to do this year? And, and one of the bummer things is when you do a really cool thing and it, like, it's a big home run, well, then a year passes, and you're like, ah, oh, rats, how do I top that one last year? And, you know, after so many years, you start wondering if you can keep it up. But God was graceful, and she has great friends that help me find out what she wants, to know her heart. If I want to know God's heart, I've got to spend time with him. I've got to, I've got to read his word. I've got to know who he is, right? So, to begin with, what stands out to me in God's word is that, one, God's heart is for his glory. 
We read through scripture continually, God's uh, about his glory and his majesty. But what is glory? What does it mean? Well, dictionary.com defines it as this, very great praise, honor, or distinction bestowed by common consent or renown. When I read that word renown, I was like, yeah, that's a good descriptor of what glory is, renown, something that just you know about and you just look forward to. Um, as I woke up this morning and, uh, and the sky was clear and we looked out at the Alaska range today, uh, I've lived here for a while now and I'm still in awe of the mountains. Back at home in Port Allsworth, when we look out to the east, for us, we're looking at Tenelian Mountain. It was in some of our pictures back there. And in the, in the fall time, especially when the sun sets in the west, and if there's a little bit of an overcast and all of a sudden the sun comes below the overcast and it just beams across and lights up the mountain in the fall, it just, it's like glowing purple with the uh, fall colors. It's amazing. The glory of just that mountain just brings me to awe. You know, the Bible says about creation in Psalms 19.1 that God's glory is evident. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Oh, the northern lights, right? Do you guys see the northern, northern lights here with all the light pollution you have in the city? <laughs> we don't have that where we're at. We just shut our lights off. You look at the sky. It's amazing. The heavens declare the glory of God, God's renown. When you think about Old Testament stories, the story of the Israelites leaving Egypt and the plagues that came, I have to believe that when the Canaanites heard about this nation coming and they heard about God's work in Egypt, I, they were afraid, right? You think about the people in Jericho. They had heard what God had done for his people. His renown had preceded them. That's all part of God's glory. God is part, uh, God's heart is for his glory. So I want to share a little secret with you. As I've grown and as I've have, have learned, one of the struggles I've had in my walk is, how can God be so prideful and arrogant? Doesn't that just kind of rub you wrong? Because it rubbed me wrong. Because I, I don't believe I truly understood what it meant. As a people, I don't think we can fully grasp or understand what it means when God says he's for his glory. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever run into an arrogant person. I'm sure everybody's pretty humble right here in Kenai and Soldatna, right? Um, it's, it really kind of rubs you wrong, right? It's like, man, what does he or what does she think she's all that? And I, I hear about it regularly, and I was pretty arrogant. Uh, I can be pretty arrogant at times. And I don't want to be, but it, it, the, our egos get in the way, right? And, and the reason that is is because we're imperfect, right? We, we make mistakes. We, my family knows all the bad things about uh, the things that I do, right? I lose my cool sometimes. I may or may not raise my voice when I'm displeased with the behavior of, of, of my, my, my children, as perfect as they are. Um, I, you got the irony there, right? We're imperfect people. But that's why God's uh, protection, God's uh, heart for his glory is not wrong. It's because he is perfect. God is the only perfect one. Here's a, here's a great description I found of this. It says, God is, however, is perfect. If he speaks, acts, and rules as though he is perfect, it's simply because he is. 
There's no arrogance or selfishness involved, as there would be in a lesser being. God's claims of glory match reality. God's claims of glory match reality. So if I were to stand here and say, I am the greatest Cherokee pilot there ever was, anybody else that flies Cherokees would go, huh, what are you talking about? And I'm not. I, I have a Piper Cherokee. I love flying it. I, I can fly it. It's okay, but I'm not the greatest. But if I start to claim that, there's other people that are saying, wait a second, I thought I was the greatest, right? Um, when we claim things that really can't be true, it's a lie and, and we're not living into reality. But when God says, I'm perfect, when God is for his glory, he's just matching reality. In fact, if he didn't protect his glory, if he didn't stand for his glory, that would be a lie. As I understand that more, I realize that God's perfection, because of God's perfection, it is reasonable and right that he should be for his glory and holiness. And in fact, for his glory and holiness, God humbled himself as Jesus and came to earth and set aside that majesty in order to live here and go to the cross. Imagine, if you would, if you had a perfect diamond to give the one you love, kind of like the one I gave my wife so many years ago when I asked her to be my wife. And we, uh, we look at that ring as a symbol of our commitment to each other, my commitment to her. And I protect that, and we get it cleaned, we get it fixed if it breaks, right? We want that little thing, as, uh, as small as it is, to protect because it is a symbol. It shows my love for her. How much greater should God protect his glory? How much greater should we respect and know how amazing and powerful and full of splendor he really is? God's heart is for that. As a holy, all-powerful, perfect God, how much more is he right about being for his glory? So first we see God's heart, his glory. We, we read it over and over again in Scripture. But then the next thing that stands out in Scripture is that God's heart is for people. It starts right at the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. If you want to look at that with me, Genesis chapter 1, as God has uh, gone through the creative processes and has created the sun, the moon, the stars, and the earth, separated the waters from the earth, has created plants, he comes to this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then God said in verse 26, is Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens <clears throat> and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. <clears throat> so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of, the, of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. <clears throat> you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. 
And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. As we read that account of God's creation of man, and not just his creation, but his provision for everything man needed, you can see God's heart is that people would thrive under his care and friendship and love. The psalmist recognized this. In Psalm 139, we can read what he wrote. He says this, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Do you feel God's heart for you, for his people? God created man in his image. Nothing else is that set of. Man could be as said as the pinnacle of God's creative process. He created us for relationship with him, for friendship with God. What an amazing thing to be a part of as a human person. Many of you know the story though, right? Genesis chapter 3 follows Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and in Genesis chapter 3, the Eve is deceived and, and breaks God's commandment. We call that sin. And really, that's the next aspect I see in, in the Word of God that I see about God's heart is that God hates sin. When I was preparing for this, I didn't really like that aspect of this. I didn't want to put this subject in there because I wanted to just kind of keep it all nice and clean and, and happy, right? But if we don't truly understand this aspect of God's heart, we're missing the entire boat. God hates sin. And there's a really good reason for it. Let's just look at a few references, just so you know that this is just me making this up. But if you read through the Word, and we could list passage after passage after passage where God deals with sin um, in appropriately just and righteous ways. But in Psalms 5, we read this. Psalms 5, uh, verses 4 and 6 says, You are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Over in Proverbs, we read this in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. That's some pretty weighty things. If you read through the Old Testament, especially and in the prophets, we, we read about God bringing judgment on people that have broken his laws, on, that have turned his back, that have uh, walked away from friendship with God. God hates sin. 
In English, we use the word sin to describe that um, doing anything God says is wrong. But I think evil might be a better word to describe it. And at least for me, I don't know if that works for you. The meaning of sin is to miss the mark. The analogy is an archer, you know, taking aim and, and shooting at a target and, and missing the mark, even by a little bit. That's sin. But I think it doesn't communicate really what sin is doing as well as the word evil. Take for a moment and think about evil. What comes to mind? When you, th- when you think about evil, what, what might, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Satan. Satan. For me, a real practical illustration, as I thought about this, is that, yeah, Satan is, a, is evil per, in, in, in the world t- today. But one thing, as I, I think of what, how I would picture evil, I think about horror films. I'm not a fan of horror films. Um, and it's not, uh, you know, it's just, even as I was young, um, I wasn't really thrilled with them. And the reason is, they depict images and storylines that I believe are really about evil. And it bothers me in my heart and my spirit when I see it depicted on screen. So I don't watch them. And I believe it's because God's spirit lives in me and, and is repulsed by that type of media. He convicts me and guides me towards righteousness. So for me, that's kind of an easier thing to kind of look at. It's like, oh, that's easy. I don't have to watch that movie, right? But then I may watch something else or drive down the highway and see something, and my eyes are drawn to that. And I don't turn away from that. I don't recognize it. I think, ah, oh, you know, that's not a big deal. And it's like, whoa, Mark, what am I doing? You see, we have a tendency to minimize sin. As, as people, we, we don't want to really address the impact that sin has on our lives, whether it's a very tiny one, and see, I'm even doing it in that statement, aren't I? Or a big one, right? Whether it's a lie or a murder, we tend to categorize sin in different ways, and, and, and truly, God doesn't do that. Sin is sin. It's evil. One of the biggest struggles in dealing with uh, abuses in, that we work with at camp is, is there's a tendency to minimize the impact of abuse, no matter how much or how long it's gone on. And all of a sudden, we're trying to excuse some bad, bad behavior, and that's not okay. It's evil. You see, if I lie, or if I linger on an inappropriate image with my eyes, or here's a hard one, if I'm jealous of my talented coworkers, you know, one of the challenges of bringing great staff on is they're all better than me at what I do. It's like, oh, wait. And God has had to work and continues to work in my life. It's like going, wow. Wow, I, I'm not that good. They're really good at that. And, and jealousy rears up its ugly head. That's evil. I may refer to that type of thinking as sin, but it's, it's really evil. It's an affront to God. When I think of it as evil, it helps me recognize the true essence of my thoughts and my actions. And it's not just missing the mark, but actually shaking my fist at the wonder and the splendor and the glory of my Savior and God. My way is better than your way. When I decide to protect myself with a lie or, or tear down my coworker with my, my thoughts. And when I start thinking of it as evil, I'm brought to my knees to worship the one who saved me from that. Why does God hate sin? Well, here's how I've summed it up. God hates evil 
because it is an affront to his glory and has broken and marred his creation. It has brought death and destruction to the people whom he loved. Working with families and, and students and campers in, in, in a camp ministry in our particular situation, we see the firsthand effects of evil in life. And it doesn't matter that we're just in Bush, Alaska. And, and, and a lot of times Bush, Alaska does get a, a, a really bad rap. There are very difficult things in our communities. But I bet, I, I, I'm confident I could take you to inner city Anchorage, Los Angeles, Des Moines, Iowa. It's everywhere. And the more I travel, I, I have the opportunity to travel and, and share about TBC. It's, these things happen everywhere. And I see the destruction it brings into lives. I see the, the, the total loss of innocence happening in our students and in our campers. And it breaks my heart. And it's because sin is evil. And it has marred God's creation. God is right to hate sin. I'm glad I'm not out of time. Because <laughs> it doesn't end there and and you who know the gospel, if you're here this morning and you know the good news, it really is good news. It's the best news ever. And this is the last aspect of what I see God's heart about, is that God's heart is about reconciliation. God's heart is about reconciliation. He sees the problem, and he has done something about it. Reconciliation is kind of a long word. Um, I, I looked it up to make sure I understood what is this all about. To reconcile is defined as to restore to friendship or harmony. I like that. I've had disagreements, arguments say, with my wife Andrea at times, and there's nothing sweeter than making up and saying, I'm so sorry that what I did to you hurt you. My words were unkind. What a sweet thing when she says, I forgive you. What an awesome experience. That's reconciliation in, a, in, in our lives, in marriage, and it happens... It plays out again and again. What greater thing to be reconciled with the creator God? Because of sin and its nature of destruction, we are out of friendship or relationship with God. Maybe you're here this morning, and this may be the first time you're hearing anything like this. I hope that you hear this clearly, that God wants you to know him. He already knows you. He wants you to know how much he cares about you. He wants to bring you back into friendship through the power of reconciliation that we see in the cross. As we look through the whole of Scripture, not just a few little verses, but if you read from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the theme of reconciliation becomes evident in the whole story of God's heart. The big story of the Bible is the story of reconciling his dearest creation, us, into right relationship with him. Um, I like this term. I, I learned it's called the meta narrative of the Bible. It's really, I, love, I just love the way it sounds. It's the big story. In the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, we see just a shadow of what's to come. As, as animals are sacrificed and, and sin is uh, ceremonially placed on them and they're, they're sacrificed to cover, it's temporary. It's only a shadow of what's coming. And then we know that Jesus Christ came as the perfect sacrifice and took our sin upon him, and went to the cross, and was uh, experienced God's wrath on him, and was buried, and then rose again, and, and conquered death. And we can trust that he did that for you and I. 
Ephesians chapter 2 sums up this story of reconciliation in such marvelous ways. Let's look at this. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all also, excuse me, amongst who we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So that's who I was. That's who many people are still. But then this, this is the greatest thing. But God, <clears throat> being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Oh, I'm so thankful for grace. I love that your, your church is Peninsula Grace. Grace is not getting what we deserve. Not getting what we deserve. As a sinner, as a person that has committed evil things in the face of God, he has forgiven me as I've trusted Christ's perfect sacrifice for me. And he has restored me to right relationship. Peter says this in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should be, uh, reach repentance. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled him, us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the word to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The heart of ministry is that God wants to restore the relationships of people to himself. That's why I do what I do. It's only possible because of the cross. And circling back around, the cross brings glory to God, which reflects his heart. What an amazing thing. In his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer expresses this um, kind of uh, irony this way. Do you see the glory of God disclosed at Calvary? In the making of propitiation for our sins. The Bible does, and we venture to add, if you felt the burden and pressure of your own sins at its true weight, so would you. When I stop and I think about what God has done for me and the, the price and the, the reality of my sin, the evil that has been present in my life, and that God has, through Christ, forgiven me and washed that away, I am brought to my knees. I'm brought to tears many times as I consider the weight of that. If you consider that weight, you would bring, you would give glory and praise to God. We've sung about it this morning. 
We're going to sing about it more. That we worship this God, the God, not this God, the God, the only true God. He knows the depth and the burden and pressure of our sin. And he's moved to compassion. Caring and loving so deeply, he gave his only son, Jesus, as a sacrifice in our place to make it possible for us to be restored to know him and love him for his glory. When I consider the weight of this truth, I'm brought into worship. I love the worship that comes from knowing I've been saved by grace. I'm motivated to love as he's loved me. I'm compelled to go as he came and to tell of his wondrous love, to serve as he served, to live by the power of his spirit. All that his wonder and his glory might be known. I heard it once said this, that we're all beggars. And I'm a beggar, and I just happen to find where the good bread is, and I want you to know about it. I want you to know where to find the living, <coughs> the true God, the one that can bring peace and comfort and victory in your life. When we look back at Paul's prayer in Philippians 1, I see his deep love for those he serves, his heart. And it's my heart for those we serve, really for you this morning. I don't even know many of you today, but it's my heart that you would know this, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, that you may be approved what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, that you'd be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. As people see you and know you, that they would go, that per- there's something different about you. When kids come to camp, they go, there's something different about camp. They want to know this God that we know, that our volunteers that come every year know and are sharing with them. Serving the one who made me and gifted me and sustained me is a blessing. He gives me everything I need to know and follow him. It's helped craft what our vision is as an organization, and it's to see hope-filled Alaskans glorifying God by leading healthy families and communities. It's our desire that as we teach God's word, starting when they come in third grade all the way through high school and into TLC, and then as we work with families, as we travel out and we share God's word and his love and the, the reconciliation, the, the return to friendship with God, that we see healthy people, not just healthy physically, we know we're going to have ailments and, 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 and whatever, but healthy spiritually, that we have a right relationship with God then we're empowered and we're able to lead our families and our communities to glorify God. I would challenge you to rise to that, to recognize the Spirit of God's work in your life through your church here, this local body, that those who know you, that know Peninsula Grace, would know God is at work. And we want to know God. We want to know the God who has saved them and has made us such a change in your lives. Lord Jesus, I pray for Peninsula Grace. I pray that you would move in this body of believers. Lord, that those who are here this morning that may not know you, that have never heard or have been wondering about who you are, that as they hear the story of of your love for them, for your forgiveness of sin and restoration of friendship, that, Lord, they'd come to you in faith, believing that you love them. In Jesus' name, amen.